Hey, 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 folks. Part two of two with Carrie Weisberg starts now. If you haven't listened to last week's episode yet, number one, why not? Number two, we'll go back then and listen because our journey starts there and you're going to be lost if you missed it and didn't listen. And personal note, thank you all so much for listening. It's really lovely that you stick with us and we really appreciate it. We're coming up on a year of being in your ears and that just feels really good. All right, listen to Carrie be fun and funny for the second time starting now. Oh, hi, you're listening to Service from Hell, a podcast featuring people that are currently in customer service positions or the lucky few that got out and all of the good, bad, and infinitely irritating things that go along with that work. I'm actor and writer Kate Gaffney, and I'm uniquely qualified to discuss this as I used to work at a very busy and very popular comedy club in Los Angeles. And at least one of you listening right now has probably grabbed me and told me you were ready to order when I was running around like a crazy person. So let's eat. Rose. So there wasn't like a last straw moment where you were like, light this on fire. Yeah, there was. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I was taken advantage of in the fact that I gave them all of my time and energy and I didn't get any credit for any of it. And I'm a Leo, I'm a girl, I'm a very sensitive person. And just a little bit of an acknowledgement goes a long way for me where it's like, Hey, thanks for thinking of this new show or Hey, good job. Or we're really proud of you. Thanks. You know, thanks would have been nice. And everyone in that, that theater was working so hard and like grinding so hard that there was no, but the last straw for me was, was a moment like that where it was like somebody took credit for something that I did, which was like a, pretty cool thing that I did. And someone else was like, Oh, thank you in a meeting. And I was like, I quit. Did you say it? No, I wish I had, but that was it in my brain. Like I was in that meeting and I was like, that's it. I'm going home and I'm going to write my letter. I'm going to do it. And I did. And so in that moment, did the person that took credit look over at you and like feel a way or say something to you after like, Hey, sorry, just did it in the moment. Whatever. (sighs) No, no, sorry. Girl, how did you not say something in the moment? Um, because I was, it was an abusive relationship yeah. at a certain point. Yeah. And, and I was so used to taking these hits and like, I wasn't going to take it anymore. I don't know what happened in that moment, but it was like, no, I woke up. And so that was, yeah, that was the moment for me. It was nothing new. It was nothing out of the ordinary. It was nothing that hadn't happened before. It was just like, I had tasted this outside world and I wanted to be gone from this world. Well, and also, I, I mean, it's, it is interesting because my... I had a similar experience with a job that I got out of that I was in for eight years, that it was nothing. There wouldn't have been a moment that that anybody in charge would have been able to be like, oh, we totally get what Kate love. That was explosive. And it is. I do think that when you are in an abusive patterning with any sort of job, customer service or otherwise, even if you don't necessarily get a taste of something better, but it's it's kind of like similar to a romantic relationship, especially for women, at least in my own experience, is like it takes us a real long time to be done. But when we are done, we're we're so done that that shit's not only on fire, but the ashes are in this like lockbox tomb that no one has a key to. And, right. and, it's I, over. and I swallowed it and shit it out yeah. somewhere and moved on. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm done. I am done. I was in Second City for seven years in that capacity. And it was a long time. And it was like really sad when I did leave because it was a piece of me, you know, it was a whole chunk of my life at that point. Sure. But you're right. It wasn't like, a one thing. I I mean, they did dim my sparkle a lot. And I think people saw it coming sooner than I did because I was sad and it wasn't necessarily like depression. It was just like 
Defeat. Defeat. I'd mm-hmm. given up. I was little. I was sad. I was, you know, belittled. And I don't know what happened in that one meeting, but I won't ever forget it. Is, you know, she took someone was like, hey, really great job with this. And she was like, thanks. And I was like, bitch, oh. what? <laughs> yeah. I did that. That was a thing all I you, literally all, did. All she had to do was say, thanks. Actually, it was Carrie's idea. That's it. I, you, w- I still maybe would have been still there. be working there now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not. But yeah, I totally, I totally, I get that. And I totally, especially because I think, and you know, this has come up on the podcast too, when your heart is not necessarily in, in this space of, I want to be desperately doing the thing that is currently paying my bills, you can tolerate more nonsense. And I think you end up tolerating more nonsense because you're like, yeah, but this isn't my career anyway. So fuck it. I'm not I like, even though, you know, you are invested because you care about what you're doing. And like, there is uh, self-esteem around, you know, not just cashing paychecks. I get that. And that's true for me, too. But I do think that you can your sort of threshold for bullshit is greater when it's not when you're not on set doing the thing that you desperately want to do you're just like well this is a throwaway job anyway not that i'm not saying what you did at second city is throwaway at all but like you're like i'm not going to be working in an office of a theater for the remainder of my professional career i'm not doing that right and and i think the worst thing was is i saw at a certain point and i don't know what point this was but i saw that they would keep me forever sure you know because I was good. I was good at my job. I would respond to emails on my phone. I would fix things over the weekend. And I, um, if I'm going to do a job, I'm going to do it. So they would keep me there forever if they could. And, you know, for a supportive theater environment, that was another thing that was like gross to me at a certain point. I was like, don't you want me to fly? Don't yeah. you want to have me be on these walls? Don't you want to be raising your people up and making sure they're successful too? And so I got mad at, you know, I got resentful a little bit it was a little bit of everything but that last moment was the straw I totally I god I we have such similar stories I totally identify with that and what is what was the last straw that got you out of like any of the other customer service jobs because production you know producing is customer service was was Second City the last customer service job that you had prior to full fully producing writing and acting Okay, well, yep. shit, then you just answer that question. Great. Yep. Um, have you ever told a customer to fuck off in your yeah. non... Ooh, come on, tell oh, us, yeah. tell us. There was a crazy lady, and I can't remember her name, but I blocked her on all social media because like, she was like a crazy older lady from Second City. Ooh. Uh, I think she went to an open house. She wasn't like a regular student. She was like a stranger, and she was crazy. She would like call and scream. She was mad about something at an open house, which is, by the way, free all day free classes, free shows all day. And I think she maybe didn't get into a section because she wasn't there on time, whatever it was. She was like writing these crazy Yelp reviews and like posting all this stuff and tagging me and other people in the office. And she like kept calling and calling and calling. And I think eventually I was just like, Hey, fuck off. Good (laughs) for you. Fuck you. And did that work? Did she stop calling? Uh, yeah. Sometimes that's, I mean, I think she did stop calling. Well, then it was an effective, uh, effective, excellent use of that phrase. Good. Good (laughs) for you. How many, I've also done it as a producer too. Can you tell that story? Yeah. I mean, there are plenty of times where like production is a very high stress environment and you know, you only have so much time to get so many things done. And uh, I get it. Everyone's overwhelmed and we have schedules to keep that are very important. Otherwise it gets super expensive and there was the host of a show I did called Safe Word. 
I could tell you his name or you could look it up, which would be very easy. His name was Terrence J. And he is, it's a show about essentially two celebrities have two comedians on their team. So it's, I think it was Jay-Z. No, it wasn't Jay-Z. Who am I kidding? Um, it was DJ Khaled and Diddy were battling and they have two comedians on their couches and Terrence is the host. And what happens is they essentially switch cell phones and they're tweeting as each other and they have to use their safe word if they don't want the tweet to go out. But you get points for letting the tweet to go out. But in reality, if anybody watched that show, thanks, I guess. I mean, good for you. <laughs> it was fine. If it, They were real tweets. I was in charge of the phones. And some sometimes when they wouldn't let me just like log in from our show phones, I would have their real phones with me. And it was part of like the contract, right? So like it was not a battle really for me. Their agents knew about it. Everybody knew about it. And 99% of these tweets were pre-approved. Actually, 100% were pre-approved by the network. They were still new to the contestants, but there was always an out. I mean, you never lost anything by using your safe word. There was never a chance for you to be embarrassed by actually tweeting it. Everything got vetted. It was MTV and VH1, which are very protective of their celebrities. So everything's protected. And I have these phones backstage. I think it was Diddy's phone. And I have a tweet that we all talked about. And by we, I mean like the producing team, the producing writing team. And Terrence is part of that team because he has to be on stage for it. And he's protective of the celebrities too because he thinks they're best friends. They're not. Um, So I have Diddy's phone and I'm tweeting something. I think it was something like at Rihanna, you know, like being a dick. Uh, But it's funny, you know, it's like some stupid joke. And you can see me live typing in the audience and I'm backstage typing what I know is coming up. The worst part is that I couldn't just copy paste even though I knew what it was going to be. Anyway, whatever. And it's like live to tape. So I have to like move as fast as I can. So I have this tweet up. We all know he's not going to send it. We all know. And I always take a screenshot of the tweet, whether or not we send it. So we have it for posts if they want to like pop it up in a screen somewhere because it's part of the show. Right. So Diddy uses a safe word. I delete the tweet. I I don't even hesitate. I take a screenshot and I delete the whole tweet. I'm on his real Twitter. Like I'm not going to fuck around with that. Right. 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 So Terrence, for some reason, like reads that off of Diddy's face that he's mad. We're like stopped down for a reset and he comes charging backstage to scream at a producer. And I'm the only one at our area. The rest of the producers are gone. They're, you know, on stage or somewhere else. And he's screaming at me, Kate. And he's, there's a big long table in between us. And if there wasn't a table, I think he would have hit me. Oh my Um, God. Like a real genuine rage. And like, there's a friend of mine that is a dude stuck behind pipe and drape that's watching this. Terrence is miked. I'm holding down my PL. So like everyone in the, the um, producing group can hear it. Room. Yeah. My, yeah. my bosses can all hear my side because they can all hear him. He's got his mic on. Sure. Audio is still recording. I know they're recording. And so he's screaming. I'm replying. I'm holding my button down there. Although the, the, all these guys behind me that are my friends, but they can't get to me. That's like, you know, a stage is full of shit sure. everywhere. Sure. So he's screaming and screaming. And I like, you don't get to talk to me like this. I want you to turn around and talk to your manager. And his manager's like right behind him. And she's she's like trying to get his attention, but he's screaming at me because he thinks it's my fault. What is he, and, so specifically what is he saying? Is he, is he saying you shouldn't have deleted the tweet or is he like- We shouldn't have even typed it up. We shouldn't have even put it as, like it shouldn't have even been a joke. There was, first of all, there was no 
it wasn't my fault. It was approved. The comedian said it on stage because it was approved. It's also the fucking you know, show, you dumb fuck. This show. is the show. The best part was, so he comes at me and I was like, turn around. You don't get to talk. So I didn't say fuck off, but I was like, turn around. Good for you, you Carrie. You don't get to talk to me like that. And so he turns around, his manager calms him down. Diddy also still mic'd and hot mic. And he was like, that was hilarious in <gasps> my ears. I can hear him. But Terrence isn't on stage, so he doesn't hear it. You know, like. Oh, not you getting yelled at. The the tweet was hilarious. The tweet was hilarious. Like, he was never going to send it. But, like, so he wasn't mad. Terrence read the situation wrong. Freaked out for no reason. I mean, after that, MTV called me, you know, because they were like, please don't sue us. Sue us, yeah. Because that's harassment Uh, at your job. You could have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my company was talking to me, and they're like, are you okay? And I was like, guys, I'm not going to sue anybody. It's fine. But I do want an apology from him. He wouldn't apologize. Uh, his manager took me out to dinner and was very sweet and kind. She was like, I'm so sorry. You know, she saw the whole thing. And I was like, I appreciate that, but I want an apology from him. From never him. him. Yeah, didn't happen. Oh, my God. What an embarrassing. I don't even I've never heard of him. Is he uh, an allegedly he was a host a con- on E for like some of their stuff? Oh, um, you might a- recognize his face, but he like he thinks he has all these hotshot famous friends and he knows them because he's interviewed them. Um, interviewing someone doesn't make you friends. I mean, like that's like a, not a good person. I mean, like that was his true colors. Like he would have hit me, Kate. I'm a, I'm a hundred percent. Jesus Carrie. And also I'm like, I'll fight. I'll fight you back. Same. But there's a table between us. So like you hit me first, go ahead and I will win. (laughs) Yeah. You're going to be real sad that you made that choice. Oh, Oh, Carrie, I hate that for you. Okay, well, good. I'm glad you told that you didn't. I mean, you handled that incredibly professionally because I think I would have just but I, I freeze often in those situations. I probably wouldn't have even been able to find the words of you don't get to speak to me like that. That's a yeah. hard. It was just like so irrational. Like, yeah, I've been yelled at for doing things wrong. Sure. But I knew I didn't do anything wrong. Sure. And I also knew it was like such a weird in- instinctive moment where like I also knew that he was miked because I can hear him in my ears and I'm looking at him. Sure. So like you know, as a producer, I have all these headsets on and I know that I know where everybody is. They're just not with me. So I'm just holding down my mic because I have one on, but it's just not recording. So, you know, and the audio guy even called me a couple weeks after that was like, Hey, I still have this audio if you need it. (sighs) Good for that. That's a dope ass dude. That's got your back though. Like, even though you're not going to use it for anything, like that's, that's somebody legitimately having your back. What a piece of wow! Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's a way to tell someone. I was to like, no, I I get rid of it. Yeah, you're like, I don't want to think about it. How many bodily fluids have been on you whilst you've been on the clock? Any anybody else's bodily fluids or your own? This is I know people react to this question and then they inevitably think of a story where someone like barfed on them or sweat on them or peed on them or like. I'm what? pretty sure like all, almost all the body bodily fluids. Wait, really? Yeah. <laughs> I don't mean from dogs. We're not talking about from dogs. I'm talking about from human beings. Yeah, I think most of them. Carrie, can you tell a story around any of them that you feel comfortable? Um. That is uh, amazing. (laughs) I can't send this podcast to my parents anymore. Do you you look like you're going to say something? No, no, I just think it's it. I, it's funny that everyone has had that similar reaction because the words bodily fluids, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. All I just us. don't think I've been shit on. Yeah, well, you're the only the the only one the only person I've interviewed that's been that's had uh, poop on him was a doctor, and he was like disimpacting someone. So it's like, well, that doesn't. Yeah, of course. I mean, it counts. But um, you're the first person to say all of them, though. I'm pretty. I'm pretty yeah, I mean, impressed. my dog. I brought her to work once, and she shit on the carpet in the producing room. Then count. But, 
then count that your dog. Also like potty train. What was that, by the way? <laughs> She's looking at her dog right now and inter- interrogating her. <laughs> she, she doesn't mean it, Millie. She loves you so much. <laughs> she was like, I didn't feel good. Okay. Do you Just tip? <laughs> what? Do you tip? Do I tip? Yeah, of course. Okay. How much? Minimum 20%. Okay. What, what takes it over the edge for you? But beyond 20%. Up or down? Up. Um, if it was really great, if it's somebody I know, if it was, if it was really great or somebody I know. Okay. Um, do you ever not tip? No, uh, I have not tipped once. When? I can't remember, but that person I do remember was a full blown asshole. Really? And I never not tip and I was pissed. I can't, I wish I could remember, but I do remember writing zero. Oh, oh no, awful. that's okay. Listen, I there. Everybody has that one time where they were like, "No, this person was like disrespectful, called me outside of my name, whatever." Like has that yeah. sort of story. So yeah, no, that's not. Don't be embarrassed. It by was that. something like that, and I I must have blacked out because I probably felt overwhelming Jew guilt about that <laughs> <to think>. thing. <laughs> Jew guilt. That's the best. I don't get to say that, but that was great. <laughs> um, okay, and ha- were you? I-, I guess is the only tipped position you could have sort of worked was when you were the hostess at Mouse, or have you had? Because everything else wouldn't have been tipped, right? Yeah, um, a couple times at Second City for camps, like there was this one family that was very sweet would send us like boxes of avocados because they had an avocado farm. Aww. Or like, you know, sometimes people would give you a Christmas present. That's very sweet. You know, like a Starbucks card, but the only real position I had that was like a truly tipped position was a hostess. Okay. And even then it was like not, it's it never. wasn't normal to tip a hostess. Yeah, yet. it's not, unfortunately. Um, have you ever been fired from a customer service job? Ooh, no. Okay. I, I figured you've never been fired. I just threw it in there because it's in there. Um, worst customer you've ever had to interact with? Oh, there was one that just sticks in my brain that um, in at Mao when I was a hostess, a little lady, it was my parents would come in like once a week because they thought it was so cool that I was working. <laughs> and they're sweet little angels. They are and, sweet. Um, they sat at a table and Denver's a big city, but it's also, you know, a community. So I sat this woman and she was a bitch like she was just like an old lady bitch and she was so mean to me I don't even remember what she said but she was like you know complaining about the table and then complaining about the next table and I kept moving her because I was like I didn't want to deal with it and I was just like I'm over this I'm over this so my parents come in that night and they sit down and she like gets up and goes to talk to them and I'm like looking over and I'm mortified by the fact this bitch of a woman is talking to my mom and dad yeah so I march my little butt over there and I was like, hi there. And she was like, I don't need your help anymore. Something like that. You know, she snapped at me. My dad was like, oh, I don't know if you've met our daughter, Carrie. Oh. And she instantly changed. And I was like, yeah, bitch. You wow. got to watch who you're mean to. I also have another really good story. What was the question I want to make sure I'm Worst customer. Listening. You are. Worst customer. Keep going. Um, when I was an intern in the casting office, I would sign actors into their auditions. It was for Criminal Minds. And I would put the little clipboard in the office, in the lobby. And sometimes I would sit with it and actually sign them in. But I always walked them from the lobby to the trailer where we would take the audition and run the camera usually. So like, you know, that was my path is I would check in people and then I would walk them in and then I would go behind the camera and run it. There was this one time that we had this session and the director kept giving the same note and he, they just like couldn't find somebody. And usually they would read about 10, 12, 15 people per role. And they just couldn't find the right 
fit. And this one woman did it really well, but he always gave the same note. And I, I can't remember what it was. And I don't remember what the problem was. But as an actor, I was like, oh, that note is really helpful. And a lot of people would adjust. And this one woman adjusted and it was beautiful. But it was just still like, it was, it was great. But we had one girl left and she was running really late and they, her, she had called and we knew she was going to be late. And the producers and the director and the casting director were all like, that's okay, we'll wait. Carrie, just go meet her at the gate, give her the note. And then, you know, that way she's ready. And I was like, oh, great. So I'm waiting and she's like frazzled, as you can imagine, as an actor running late for an audition. It's the actual worst. It's the worst feeling. Yeah. And so I'm walking with her and I was like, hi, I just have a note from the director and I give her the note. And she's like, who even are you? I need to use the bathroom. And, you know, she's just like mean. And I was like, the bathroom's over there. And, you know, I repeated the note. I was like, you know, he's been giving this to everyone. It's not about you. And she was just like frazzled and rude. And, you know, I think she even said the words, who even are you verbatim. So I wait for her from the bathroom. I don't even go in there and tell them that she's gone to the bathroom. Just in their brains, she's not quite there yet. So I'm like, okay, are you ready? You know, I give her the time to like settle down a little bit. And she's like, let's just do this, okay? Let's, I'm just, I'm ready, okay? And so she's like, okay. So she comes in, nails the audition. It was perfect, exactly what they were looking for. One take and she was out. So the room was the producers, like I said, the director and the casting director. So I think there were six people and it was split with the other girl. And uh, the other girl- uh, Please, please tell me this is going where I think it's going. Please tell me this. The director looked at me. I don't know this guy. He doesn't know me. I was literally only an intern there for two months. So there there wasn't an opportunity to really get to know me that well. But he looks at me and he's like, hey, Carrie, you're an actor. Who did you like better? And I was like, I froze for a second because I was like, oh, shit. Because her read was flawless. It was beautiful. And I but you also like, gave her the note ahead of time. So that could have been part right. of it, too. And they knew that. They knew that. So they were like, well, what did you think? Who did you like better? And I was like, do you want my real answer? And they're like, yeah, of course we do. And that's, you know, now one of my dear friends, Erica, was like, yeah, of course. Tell us your real answer. And I was like, well, I thought that the that girl, her read was flawless. I thought it was really, really good. And I thought that the other girl was pretty good. But the one that her read was flawless she was really rude to me when I gave her that note. And when I met her at the gate, she just kind of was rude to me. And the director was like, okay, I've heard enough. He takes her headshot, rips it in half. Oh, uh, see, this is the kind of justice shit that makes my like toes curl in the best way. Like, fuck, yes, you you don't get rewarded for being a bag of shit. No, and I learned very fast that and, and he had voted for her. Like that was who he that wanted. Was who he was the director pick. of the episode. Sure. And he was like, Thank you for being honest with me, Carrie. I loved how talented she was, but I will not work with assholes. Thank you. And I was like, Oh, do you remember right. that director's name? Like, or I don't want to get him in trouble or anything. Do you remember did that other actor who was shitty at the gate? Have you seen her book things since then? I I couldn't pick her out of a crowd. I wish I could. Sure. It was like it happened so, so fast. fast. I like Yeah blurred everything out because I couldn't believe that they wanted my input and it worked. Oh. And my friend even told me, she was like, you did the right thing. And it's also like, it, it it would have been sort of an indirect reflection of you had it been like, yep, no, everybody's great. Everybody's great. Because I don't trust the person who's just the sycophantic, uh, agreeable always in the same way that you don't trust a contrarian who's always arguing with everything. It's like, if you're being authentic, it's the hybrid of the two, but you were asked for a reason. That's, that's a lovely story. Justice served. I love it. I love it so much. I also learned the hard way, which isn't really, well, not the hard way, that way, that 
Like you don't know who anybody is ever. Uh, you never know. But also like don't just don't be a bag of shit to people ever. Like ever. Just regardless of their job. Dumpster. Yeah. What did what did Millie say? What did she have know. to say? Well she agreed. She was she agreeing agreed. big time. Don't be a dirty dumpster. <laughs> okay. Right? Thanks, Millie. She's right. <laughs> well, folks, we hope you saved room for dessert because we're moving on to the good stuff. That was the entrees. Okay, got a couple more questions for you, Carrie. You're a trooper. We're going to take a break real quick. We're back. Um, okay, what, what's the nicest thing a customer has done for you whilst you were working? It doesn't have oh. to be a customer. It can be like a coworker. It can be like, you know. There was, in the second season of Safe Word, Prior to that meltdown, mm. um, there was this award that one of the associate producers like put on the wall, and I actually have it. Do you want me to get it? Yeah, go it get it. Me? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's tucked away in a box. Oh darn! Um, but it's some kind of like cute award that was like funniest and loves her dog or something, and it just like showed up on the wall of the production office one day. It had my name on it. Oh. It's like very sweet. I'll I'll find it if I if I find it, I'll send it to you. Okay, yeah. But it was, it was just like so stupid and silly, but like lovely acknowledging me, me as a human. And then like, you know, throughout the production, they would do it for like all of the producers and it was very sweet. It, they wouldn't say anything about it. They would just like show up one day on the wall. It was sweet. <laughs> that is really lovely. I love that answer. Okay. Um, what's the, who's the best customer that you remember interacting with? Does it have to be a customer? No. I love Michael B. Jordan. Oh, I've only I'm heard amazing love. things. I'm in love with him. His eyes are made of glitter, confirmed by every human on that crew. Could not have been nicer. He was doing our show the weekend Black Panther came out. So like he was exploding in that moment and literally could not have been nicer to every single person. <sighs> PA has asked for a picture. He took every picture he was asked for. <sighs> he was kind. He was engaging. He looks you in his eye, in your eyes. And his eyes are genuinely, Kate, made of glitter. Like, I, I, I could not speak. And I ha- my job was to brief him and prepare him for the show. And I was like, he, he, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's like, uh, I can't even find the words. He's like, step off of GQ gorgeous. And I have heard from literally everyone that has ever met him or worked with him that he is pristinely, like, authentically so kind and so lovely, never late, shows up fully prepped, off book, like, is just the consummate professional. I love that you mentioned his name because I have heard that over and over and over again. He is amazing. He's he's a lovely human being. (sighs) And I worked with a lot of great people and a lot of great celebrities, but I, I won't ever forget him. There's something about that direct eye contact and the kindness that not even just to me, like he was lovely to me, but just watching him talk to my PAs or talk to, you know, the makeup ladies or whatever. It was everybody, literally everybody. I'm so glad you mentioned his name and yay. Good. May he continue to have all of the success. What's the best lesson you've learned from having worked in customer service? I think it was the be nice to everybody. Mm. You don't know who anybody is. You don't know what they do. You don't know who they know. You know, I get treated a lot at first. I get looked at a lot at first as if I'm a PA. I read really young. Yeah, you do. Um, And so I think a lot of people think that I'm a PA or some kind of assistant on sets, you know, first day or two. And there's a difference between how certain people treat me and how most, most people, I think I've learned that lesson where it's like, you don't know who anyone is, be nice to everybody. But there are some people that haven't, and it's very clear who hasn't. And 
it's a bummer. Yeah, it is. And what's one piece of advice that you would give to customers who interact with customer service workers? And this can fall into the same category of like or actors or whomever, or like just whoever that applies to. What's like advice besides the, you know, the best lesson you learned was to be kind. But what's something you would tell other people? I would say ask for what you want. I mean, as somebody within the entertainment industry, don't be afraid. I've met so many people that are afraid of being hyphenates, like I said before. It's like tell people that you're a writer and an actor. Tell people that you're a writer, actor, producer. Tell people that you're a producer, editor. You know, people don't know what you're good at until you tell them. No one's going to ask you that anymore. So ask for what you want as far as like if you meet somebody who does what you want to do, ask them, would you read my script? Can I pick your brain? You know, ask for it. I would also say as specifically a customer service angle, protect yourself a little bit. You know, be kind. I'm a huge fan of kindness and leading with positivity and love and good energy and bubbles and sunshine, but protect yourself. If someone is an asshole to you, I wish I could have told myself this 20 years ago, 15 years ago, you don't have to deal with that. You don't have to stand for that. And that goes in every aspect of this world, but especially customer service people get the shit end of the stick sometimes because it's okay to have a bad day. It's not okay to take it out on somebody, especially somebody you don't know. So as somebody who's formerly in the customer service world, I would say protect yourself a little bit. It doesn't mean you have to be an asshole about it, but it can be, you know what? I'm not going to have this conversation with you. Mm-hmm. And in a, I, I mean, I think that's tricky. So I, I want to probe you a little bit on that in, in a, on a set environment, because I have been in those positions a couple times and I stood up for myself once and it didn't totally backfire because that person ended up, he was hair and makeup and he ended up being just like horrible to everyone. But what is the, um, like, I guess, how do you, uh, would you say stand up for yourself in the context of read the room and maybe don't stand up for yourself in front of certain people, or maybe don't stand up to yourself in front of the, like above the line people or whatever. Or do you mean stand up for yourself? I mean, read the room and take care of yourself. I'll give you a quick example. There was a stage manager and I'm a producer that likes to fly on stage a lot. So can um, you, uh, for non-industry people, can you just explain what fly on stage means? Yes. I'm so sorry. So uh, when we're shooting a take of something, the cameras are rolling and then we cut the take and I can hear it. You're wearing a bunch of different headsets. You can hear the director call cut. Usually they're not even in the room for this. Surprise, surprise, you guys. The director will call cut. And I can tell when the cameras stop rolling because we've cut essentially, even if the cameras are rolling, once we've cut, it means it's essentially clear. Somebody will yell clear and, or say clear on my headset. And that means I can walk in front of the cameras and not worry about ruining a shot. That's what I mean by flying in. So I fly in a lot to make sure that everything's going okay between takes and looking how I know everyone wants it to look. Um, So there's a, stage manager I worked with and he would say, well, the producer, this, the producer that on our shared walkie, when he's talking to the director, when he, he didn't agree with the choice that I made, he's like, well, the producer wants to make sure that the hair and makeup flies in, comes in and fixes this person. And, or the producer said that this is important. And I can hear the conversation back and forth. It's very passive aggressive. It's very much, it's a busy channel by that. I mean, like a lot of people can hear it probably about a hundred people on the crew. Not a lot of people talk on it, but the producers talk on it. Director talks on it. Stage managers talk on it. And so he's going back and forth and they're like, 
kind of figuring out, like he won't name which producer. There are three of us. And I eventually come on and I was like, hi. The director's name was Carrie also, which is fun. Like, hi, Carrie. He's talking about me. Um, This was my choice. This came from our showrunner's choice. And I'm happy to scrap it. It's not a big deal to me. It's being made a big deal on right now. And if it's taking up time, you tell me if it looks okay on camera, you're the boss. You know what I mean? I was like, if, if what you see looks good, then we cut it. We cut that, you know, five minutes that I needed from hair and makeup to change this guy's look. And she was like, oh, no, no, it's fine. It looks okay. And I was like, okay, here was the intention of what I wanted. Does that read? And she's like, yeah, no problem. And then it was over. But this stage manager kept making it a thing, making it a thing. And I can hear it. And I, he knows I can hear it. But he's trying to like shove me down, shove me down. And I, I wasn't going to stand for it. I didn't make a big scene of it. Nope. I made, I made him, you know, aware of his actions because I said, hi, I'm the producer that he keeps talking about. It's me. Uh, if you have a question for me directly, you can ask me. I mean, I'm not an unreasonable person. I will make changes to make the whole crew better. But don't talk about me like I made the stupid choice and I'm wasting everyone's time. So I think read the room is my answer. Like read the room. And if there is somebody, you know, above the line that you feel comfortable talking to, I would bring it up. If it's not an in the moment situation, then fine. Maybe at a different time, it's like, hey, I didn't like the way that you talked to me in front of everybody. Or I don't like the way that you treat me. Or it's as simple sometimes as removing yourself from interacting with that person. And I think that that's protecting yourself too, where it's like, if you're in a restaurant and there's an asshole customer, go to your other server friends or your manager and you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. Not quit, but you know what I mean? Like, this is not okay for me. And it's Mm -hmm. okay to do that. It's okay to ask for help. I think that that's a very overlooked uh, it's great advice. It's just lovely. It's exactly. And, and no one in all of the people that I've interviewed, literally no one has said that, um, from either in front of the camera, behind the camera, any industry. And it's so fundamentally important. And I think, you know, it's, it's very easy as women, or I should say for speak for myself as a woman to feel like, well, I don't want to get labeled as this like hysterical, emotional or whatever, or thinking, okay, well, I want to get hired again. So I want to be like this person on set. And I'm a guest on someone in someone's home, essentially by being, you know, a co-star, a guest star or whatever. So I want to tread lightly, but, but there's a finesse of being a doormat also doesn't get you respect. So I think yeah. that it's, it's hard to remember that. And you have to protect your energy too, where mm. it's like, I'm giving you what you need. I'm giving you a piece of myself as an actor, as a producer, as a hostess, yeah. as a, you know, a clothing store employee. I'm giving you myself and you don't get to talk to me like that. Yeah. You don't get to, and if it is as simple as not engaging with that person, then so be it. And you can, like I said, you can ask for help. I think we're conditioned as a woman. I feel I was conditioned to like try and do it myself and fix, 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 fix. I mean, producing is literally fixing all of the problems. But at a certain point, there are problems that are not mine to fix. Hmm. And I don't want to. And that's okay. I think that as a society, we don't ask for help. I think men don't ask for help. I think women don't ask for help. I think we're told not to ask for help. I had no idea what I was doing as a producer. And I would just like try my best and either success or fail. You know, it was like, take it or leave it. Eventually I grew up a little bit in my mind and I was like, I don't know how to do this thing. I'm just going to ask somebody. It was literally a five second conversation and it saved me hours of overthinking things or 
you know, dealing with people that I didn't want to deal with. It's okay to just ask. That's it. What would you say to someone who, um, if they were, you know, if they do that and they're scared of the repercussions, what would you say to talk them out of the fear of the repercussions? If somebody retaliates towards you for asking for help, then you don't want to be working with that person. I mean, I, it's not that simple, obviously in the real world, but I think the bottom line is if someone does retaliate or is shitty about you asking a question or asking for help, that's not the kind of person you deserve to be working with. And this comes from a situation where I have been able to get jobs, right? So I'm not dense to the fact that I'm lucky that I work. I'm lucky that I've gotten jobs. I'm lucky that I can speak up for myself. But it took me a long time. And I honestly think I could have done it years before I started to. There will be more work. I, I think that that's the, yeah, the the trip, I think, for everyone in front of the camera, behind the camera, any facet of, of the industry, it's it's sort of traded and predicated on this idea of scarcity always. And there's never enough and you'll never work. And it's so hard. And I find the people that book and continuously work are people that have the mentality that you do of like, no, I am deserving of respect because I'm a human being in my body. Like I just, you know, and, and I'm not going to disrespect you. So let's just let's let's all sort of work from this plane. But also, if you do disrespect me and I need to exit stage left, there will be more like this just wasn't the right fit. And that's okay because a disrespectful set attracts disrespectful people so they can have their disrespect party and their sort of abusive, passive aggressive nonsense. They have at it. Do your thing. But that's not going to be that's not going to be the set that I would thrive on anyway, especially as an actor. Oh, you can't perform under those circumstances. No, it's, it's disgusting and toxic and awful and, and you can feel it. And even, you know, there's always going to be somebody that's not great because statistics, Sure. but you can ultimately have an effect on them and that's helpful. But exactly what you said, I think it's, there is always more work. There's always another job. There's always what in whatever industry. And I think as Americans, I would I would venture to say that we're like trapped in this mentality of work before life <laughs> and like we have to always have a job lined up or always have a job or, you know, know what we want to do. And I think that's really toxic too. Yes. And it's really hurt, harmful to our psyches as people because, you know, even as an actor, you're lucky to have me on your set. Yeah. You said that you were a guest in their house and it's like, yeah, but also you were invited to the party and they're lucky to have you at their party. Mm. Sure, Maybe it's a one liner. Who cares? Maybe you're an extra. You deserve to be at that party too. Don't let anybody else make you feel otherwise. I love that. You're so sparkling. Well, how can people get in touch with you, Carrie? Like what are you, are you comfortable giving out your socials and like, are yeah. there, you are. Okay. How can they get in touch with you? Yeah, You can find me at Carrie Weisberg on all the things. Okay. And it's uh, W E I S not W I E S y'all. And it's right. B E R G not B U R G. So correct. Those are the correct spellings of yes. my name and Carrie, like the pig's blood. Oh yeah. Oh, good. Good. Good reference. <laughs> and it's October. So it's perfect. <laughs> Well, folks are going to drop your checks now. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help us out here at Service from Hell, tell your friends to listen because why haven't you done that yet? This is a fun show. Why aren't, why aren't you telling everyone? Tell them. They can get their laughs from us. Also, it will help us reach more people that need to be schooled on the art of being kind and will be catharsis for those of us still working in the industry. If you want to get in touch with us here directly at Service from Hell, you can send us your receipts at servicefromhellpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And remember, 
If you can't afford to tip, you can't afford to go out. So don't be garbage and be good to people. It's easier that way. Thanks, Carrie. This was lovely. Oh, thank you. This was this so was good. Fun. Yeah, I'm so glad you were on. If you are comfortable telling a snippet about your sociopathic roommate that you had, like we're done with the normal format of the podcast, but I may use this as a snippet at the end of one of the episodes because during quarantine in my bonus episodes, I was dealing with a mentally ill roommate and that whole such, and I did it sort of on the podcast. I talked about it because we did like bonus episodes that weren't like this. So yeah. if you are comfortable throwing out sure. a story. Okay, cool. So I'm going to, hold on, I'm going to read us in. Thank you for giving me Great. so much time. A, you mentioned earlier in the episode, you had a sociopathic roommate. I just, I just need like a snippet, an example, because I just need to feel like I'm seen. So tell me, please. Boy, you're seen, girl. You are so seen. This girl, ugh. Sociopaths are tricky. I've dated them and I've lived with one and not the same person. Uh, my roommate... <laughs> She was a friend of mine from college and we were like kind of peripheral friends, but you know, would hang out every now and then she had moved to LA. Also, she did that program with me. We lived together in that program. I realized she was there once we got here and I guess that's not really true. Anyway, we lived together and our third, there are four of us. My direct roommate was lovely. This girl should I say names? She's not going to listen to this. Don't, don't. Just a, you right. can call her roommate one or roommate two. Let's just call her. Um, oh, I had such a good thing in my head and then I forgot it. <laughs> um, Diane, yeah. does that sound, or you want to give her a name? You can give her a name, just not her my mom's name. Oh, God, no, don't. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I don't know why I pulled that out. Don't use that I name. Loved it. I loved it. We'll call her Minnesota. Okay, Minnesota. Okay. So is that good? Yeah, yeah. Okay? It's perfect. Yeah. So Minnesota, she, so it was me, my one roommate, Minnesota, and a different sociopath. So like we were all bonded against the one and she was, she was kooky and crazy and mean. We, can I say her name? Sure. Yeah. We called her mean Christine. Mean Christine. Okay. And so she was mean. So whatever. So Minnesota and I decided to move in together after this program and everything was fine. But again, like I mentioned, we were friends in college, but it was one of those, like we saw each other every couple of months, you know, like mm-hmm. it was never constant. So now we live together and she gets a job in casting and I don't even, she won't find this. Um, And she doesn't slowly stops talking to me. Like I'm not working right away and I'm depressed and she just kind of like doesn't talk to me. And then she'll like send me really long emails from work, like about the dishwasher or something, you know, like very passive aggressive emails from work about the cleanliness or whatever. Her boyfriend that summer stays with us for four months, three or four months and ruins my couch by the way because he sleeps on the couch not in her room so like I the only safe space I have is my bedroom but anyway all of that to say like that's just like the general landscape right but the one example I can never forget is I have two very close friends that I'm still very close with to this day that there was some dinner or some bar outing that was happening and they had all three gone to dinner uh Minnesota and my two friends And my two friends were like, tell Carrie that this is happening. And she was like, okay. And then the thing happens and, you know, time passes and I don't go because she doesn't tell me. 
But then like a couple weeks later or something, my two friends, I see them and they're like, hey, are you okay? You know, we've been inviting you to all these things. And I just, are you mad at us? And I was like, what are you talking about? I, I was sad because I was depressed, but I was also sad because no one was inviting me anywhere. And I only had like a handful of friends in LA, but Minnesota would not tell me when they were doing something. So it was like blatant reverse gaslighting. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or just, like, Oh, I'm going to dinner with your, these two girls. I'll see you. Like she would say stuff like that. And I was like, Oh, can I come? And she would say no, like that kind of stuff. And then one year for my birthday, I had like made plans, but they decided to surprise me. But Minnesota knew about my plans. And then all of a sudden, as I'm like walking out the door, they're like in my front door. And I was like, what are you guys doing here? And they're like, Oh, well, happy birthday. And I was like, thank you. You know, whatever. They're like, we thought Minnesota told you we were coming. And I was like, no. Oh my God. So then we realized slowly that like the information wasn't getting to me that she was just trying to block their friendship. Turns out I'm still friends with them and she's not. Shocking. Shocking. Okay, great. It was, it was very passive aggressive and it was like mountains of pages and pages of emails and not speaking to me in person. That's so weird. That's so weird. Okay, cool. That's a good example. Thanks for sharing that story. Good night, folks. 